Well, happy Sunday, OCC family. And, you know, we hope everyone's having a safe Memorial Day weekend. I know our family this weekend, we're planning to cook out and just enjoy some time together. You know, we typically eat most of our meals at home during the week. Uh, We'll probably eat out as a family once, maybe twice, but my wife loves to cook and I love to eat. My boys love to eat. Now, each week, uh, each evening, just before dinner is ready, you know, we have to round up the crew. So many of you know that we have four boys and more times than not, uh, they're all spread out doing something different just before dinner. So, you know, one of them might be playing outside. Uh, one might be building with Legos and uh, the others might be coloring or just hanging out downstairs. Um, now, my wife and I, we've made the mistake on multiple occasions of sending one of the boys to round up the others. So for example, we might send Phillips, who's four years old, to round up the other boys. And the outcome really depends on how he talks with them. So there's really one or two outcomes. So for example, if he goes and he tells the boys, hey, it's time for dinner, and if he's yelling at them and telling them to stop doing what they're doing, um, usually they don't respond to that really well. You know, they'll either yell back at him or they'll continue to do what they're doing. The point is they usually don't listen. Now, if Phillips goes to his brothers and he says, hey, mom and dad says it's time to come eat, Um, They usually listen because they recognize the authority behind the messenger. And that's so important. You know, when you've taken on the name of Jesus, when you're a born again believer, the Bible tells us that you're no longer under the authority of sin. Instead, you're under the authority of Jesus. I love Romans chapter six, verse 14. It says, sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You know, friends, uh, knowing Jesus changes everything. It changes your relationships, your aspirations, your life goals. It changes what you value in this life. Knowing Jesus even changes the way you connect with God through prayer. Now, we've said all throughout this series that prayer really is the most practical way to have a relationship with Jesus. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I like this verse in the NCV translation It's a little bit shorter, but I think it's got all the truth in it. It packs all the truth in it. It says, when a believing person prays, great things happen. When a believing person prays, great things happen. See, we know that great things happen when we pray, not because of our own strength or our own power or because of anything we've done or can do, but because of who God is and because of what he's able to do. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. You know, as Christians, we claim that promise daily. At least we should. We should be reminded that nothing is impossible with God. So as we continue our series, Pray First today, the title of this morning's message is this, When a Believing Person Prays. And what I hope to show you this morning and to encourage you with through today's message is threefold. Uh, Number one, we're going to talk about how uh, when a believing person prays, God's will 
It produces God's results. Another truth we're going to talk about this morning is that God delights in hearing the prayers of believers. And then finally, we're going to wrap the message up with this important truth that when a believing person prays, great things happen. So today I want to share a true story with you that's found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. And you're going to find this story in chapters 17 and 18. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to to take that out. And you can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And if you don't have a physical Bible, please feel free to take out your phone or your tablet and use the YouVersion Bible app. This Bible app is amazing. It's been downloaded over a quarter of a billion times. Not a quarter of a million, but a quarter of a billion. It really is awesome. So while you're turning to 1 Kings 17, I want to give you a little background on one of the main figures that we're going to talk about this morning. So in 1 Kings 17, we're introduced to an Old Testament prophet by the name of Elijah. Elijah was the first in a long line of Old Testament prophets who was sent by God to Israel and Judah. And this was 800 years, roughly, before the time of Jesus. Now, Elijah had a lot of strengths. I think he's probably the most famous of the Old Testament prophets. When you think of Old Testament prophets, his name usually comes to the top of the list. He's also, in my opinion, the most dramatic of the Old Testament prophets. He was bold in speaking God's truths. He never backed down from being used by God. And he was also used by God to accomplish some amazing miracles. So these are some of the strengths of Elijah. But Elijah had a few weaknesses as well. One, he chose to work alone. And this resulted in him living a life of of isolation and loneliness. He also had a period, a point in his life where he had to flee for his life. And you can imagine living alone, kind of doing ministry alone. This wasn't a good season for him. Now, as we're going to see in today's message, the real miracle of Elijah's life was not in his strengths or in his weaknesses. The the real miracle of his life is in how close he was to God. And it really does serve as a reminder to us today that we too can have a sincere faith in God. We can have a thriving and growing relationship with our Savior. So we're first introduced to Elijah in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. 1 Kings 17, 1 says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So this is how we're introduced to Elijah. He comes on the scene without any real warning, and he does so in a bold and dramatic way. You see, during this time, Israel had split into two kingdoms. You had Israel, which is the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is known as the southern kingdom. And for generations, one evil king after another had sat on the throne in both kingdoms. In fact, for just about every king that's mentioned in the book of 1 Kings and and 2 Kings, we read these words, that that so-and-so did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now, we know it doesn't say so-and-so, that you can fill that in with the name of the king that you read about. So we actually read, like, the people of Judah and Israel, the the people did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Then you have uh, King Nadab. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. King Baasha, 
he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. King Omri, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the list goes on and on and on. Now, the evilest of these kings ruled in the northern kingdom and was a king by the name of Ahab. First Kings chapter 21, verses 25 and 26 tells us exactly what kind of guy this was. The Bible says, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. His worst outrage was worshiping idols, just as the Amorites had done the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. You know, most commentators uh, I have found, and and I know most historians will actually tell you that this was as dark a time as we ever read about in the history of Israel. For example, those who were in leadership positions, they were, they were corrupt. They they could be bought (laughs) and the hearts and minds of the people were hardened towards God and his truths. This was a dark time. I love the quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He says that when the world goes dark, God's light shines brighter. When the world goes dark, God's light shines brighter. You know, I can't hear you this morning, but somewhere out there, I need to hear an amen today. See, in the midst of the darkness, God's light shines brighter. And when we look at this story, in the midst of the darkness, God was about to do something amazing. His light was about to shine specifically through his prophet Elijah. As we see all throughout God's word, his light shines brighter than any darkness. I love the promise that we're given in the New Testament. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, the darkness of evil never has and never will overcome or extinguish God's light. So we go back to first Kings and in the midst of this dark time, God chose to shine his light through his prophet, Elijah. Now the name Elijah literally means my God is Jehovah. That's what it means. And we know if you read ahead that Elijah lived up to his name. Now, when Elijah first met this evil King Ahab, the first thing that he does is to give Ahab an unpopular weather report. That's, that's the very first thing that we see. Let's look at that verse again. First Kings 17 verse one, it says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. This is a pretty bold Prediction, And again, uh, you see here, Elijah comes on the scene without any real warning. And he does so in, in kind of a dramatic way. The, the first thing he does is predict the weather. But make no mistake, this interaction and report was all part of God's plan. And as we see throughout the rest of chapter 17, it didn't rain for the next three and a half years. See, during this season, Elijah went wherever God told him to go. He stayed wherever God told him to stay, and he ate whatever God told him to eat. I want to encourage you with something today. If, if you have time today or this week, go back and reread 1 Kings 17 on your own. This is uh, such a powerful and wonderful chapter in God's word. We're going to jump, though, to 1 Kings 18. Now, in the timeline of events, we're, we're in the third year of this drought. Um, we see that Elijah's weather prediction actually came true. 
So look with me to 1 Kings 18, verses 1 and 2. It says, Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. Samaria. So three years had passed and God told Elijah to go and meet up with King Ahab, bringing the news that God would soon send rain. See, this drought had caused terrible famine in Samaria. And if you were to look at a map today, you would see that this is right where the northern kingdom of Israel was. This was Ahab's hometown. This is, this is where he uh, rules over. So I, I think Ahab was in panic mode at this point. So in an act of desperation, Ahab actually summoned one of his workers. It's a guy by the name of Obadiah. And he wanted Obadiah to go and help scout the land in hopes that there would still be enough food uh, for some of the animals, like the horses and, and mules. Now, Obadiah is an important figure in the book of First Kings. Uh, God's word tells us that he was actually a devoted follower of God who just so happened to be working under one of the evilest kings that Israel had ever known. And in fact, one time when Ahab's wife, Jezebel, um, tried to kill the Lord's prophets, Obadiah found a way to hide 100 of them in some nearby caves. He actually split them into two groups, 50 in one cave and 50 in another. Now, I think there's some important lessons that we can learn from Obadiah's life and, and his example. He was, he was an extremely hard worker, even working in a secular environment. I imagine this environment was not uh, conducive to help uh, build his faith, to, to encourage him, but he never compromised his faith. You know, for, for some of you today, that's the, the message you need to hear because you're working in a situation right now, working around people who don't encourage you in your faith. Maybe you hear language that uh, you don't want to hear. You hear conversations that you don't want to be a part of. Maybe you're even around people that are hostile towards Christians. And I just want to encourage you with this. Work hard, respect, and honor the authority of the lives of the people God has placed in your life. But never compromise your faith. So we look back to to 1 Kings, and, and while Obadiah was out looking for food for the animals, we read that he ran into Elijah. He has this interaction with Elijah. 1 Kings 18, 7 and 8 says, As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming towards him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my lord Elijah? he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. You know, seeing Elijah in person was great news for Obadiah. But the other side of the coin is not so good. You see, being asked to go and share this news with King Ahab, this wasn't so great. Ahab had been looking for Elijah all this time. Remember, Elijah is the prophet of God who gave Ahab this terrible news about the weather, a report that ended up coming true and causing a famine in the land. So if Obadiah were to tell Ahab that Elijah was back, and then if Elijah decided to disappear again, well, Ahab would be pretty upset, and he'd likely put Obadiah to death. But Elijah gave Obadiah his word. He actually promised that that very day he would meet with King Ahab. 
First Kings 18 verses 16 through 19 says, so Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. You see, in this text, Ahab was blaming Elijah for the drought, failing to see that it really was his own poor leadership, his own hardened heart, and his own disobedience to God that was to blame. Ahab and his wife Jezebel had actually led the people away from God, encouraging them to worship the false god Baal, instead of worship the, the, the living God, the one true God of the Bible. Baal was a false god that people looked to for rain and for a successful harvest each year. And worshiping Baal wasn't just the trendy thing to do during this time. It wasn't a new thing. It actually goes back a few hundred years. You see, Baal was worshipped in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, long before God's people had arrived. Uh, You can go back to the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 25, to read about this. So it's here that Elijah is saying, enough is enough. See, God's people had been led astray for far too long. And it was time for a change in direction. So what does Elijah do? Well, he calls for a showdown, a showdown between this false God, Baal, and the one true God of the Bible, the living God. First Kings 18 verses 20 through 24 says, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting it on fire. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and all call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And the Bible says all the people agreed. Can you imagine this scene? Elijah is the only prophet of God right now speaking up. He's completely outnumbered, but he's speaking boldly for God. He actually allowed the prophets of Baal to go first. And we read that they chose a bull, prepared it and placed it on their altar. And from morning until evening, they began shouting Baal's name out loud. They were dancing around their altar and they even cut themselves in hopes that Baal would answer whatever it is they wanted him to do and set fire to the altar. But there was no answer from this false God. So around noon, Elijah actually started mocking them. This is, this is a different side of Elijah that we see. First Kings 18 verse 27, it says about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. 
for surely he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. Elijah was a no-nonsense kind of guy. That's really what we, what we see throughout the Old Testament. But this verse shows us that he had a humorous side as well. So the prophets of Baal, they, they decided to shout louder and louder because Elijah was mocking them. But again, as you can imagine, nothing happened. After mocking the prophets, Elijah spent some time preparing the Lord's altar. And then he does something that we need to take note of, and it's, it's key for this, this story. Elijah prayed. We read about that prayer in 1 Kings 18, verses 36 through 40. It says, At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. So this is Elijah's prayer. He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. The Bible tells us in verse 38 that immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. You see, in faith, Elijah prays this radical prayer, and it is a radical prayer. He's praying for something that that no human could accomplish, and then God does what only God can do. The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and immediately burned up everything on the altar. Now, I don't know how fast immediately is, but I imagine that it's faster than you can even say the word immediately. When the people saw this, God's word tells us that they fell face down and they cried out these words, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then the false prophets were seized. They were taken away and killed. This is such a unique and powerful story in God's word. So the question is, What lessons can we learn for personal application today? I believe that the Bible is uh, for learning, but it's also for living. It's for applying God's truths to our lives so that we can effectively live for Jesus. There's so many wonderful truths that that we could use as a a, a take-home today. I mean, I think about this idea of remaining faithful at work like Obadiah. You know, he worked under this, um, this, this evil king, yet he honored the authority figures in his life, but he never wavered on his faith. What about the lesson that, you know, God uses all kinds of people like Elijah and Obadiah. I mean, Elijah is this um, outspoken, this bold, dramatic prophet. And then you have Obadiah, who's the way I read it, he's kind of an introvert. He's, he's faithful, but he's an introvert. And you have Elijah, who's kind of more the extrovert. You know, if you're an introvert and you've wondered, 
you know, over the seasons, over the years, if, if God could use your life, he absolutely can. You know, one is not better or worse than the other. I think we use the gifts God has given us. I think another lesson we could learn from this story is about the consequences of sin and what it looks like when, when someone begins to develop a hard heart towards God and, and his truths. These are all wonderful things that we could talk about. But this morning, I want to focus on what we can learn as it relates to our own prayer lives. Now, we're already getting to the end of the message. So I'm going to give you three points that I actually mentioned at the first of the sermon. These are going to go by pretty quick. So if you're taking notes, the first thing is this, that when a believing person prays God's will, it produces God's results. Elijah wasn't about his own agenda. He wasn't about just, you know, getting the things that he wanted and doing the things he wanted to do. He was, he was about God's agenda. Everything he did from where he went to where he stayed and what he ate was all in response to what God was telling him to do. He was just living obediently to God's call on his life. You know, this miracle of God causing a drought and then burning up the altar, this was not because Elijah was this big, bold prophet and that there was something, you know, really special about him. I mean, he was loved by God and God chose to use him. This was all about God. It's about who he is and what he's able to do. Elijah was just a regular person. In fact, in the New Testament, James chapter 5 verse 17 tells us that Elijah was just a normal person like you and me. It says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. See, these miracles happened because Elijah prayed God's will and because nothing is impossible with God. I think a good question for us this morning is this. How can we know if we're praying God's will? I, you know, I think that's a good question, and I would give you two things today. The first is, you know, start with the model of prayer that we find in the Lord's Prayer. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and then Ryan Ross uh, kind of revisited it a, a little bit in last week's message. But just remember, when you go to God in prayer, remember that he first is your heavenly Father who loves you. Spend some time worshiping him for who he is. And then focus on praying his agenda first. Pray about the things that you already know God cares about. Another question that you can ask yourself when you're trying to discern if you're praying God's will is this. This is a good question to ask. Is what I'm praying about good? So is what I'm praying about good and is it good for me? Notice the way that I said that. Not is it good for me, but is it good for me? And we have to go to God's word and we learn God's standard of what's, what's good and, and what's not good. You know, and any time that you're praying God's will, I just want you to understand something. If it's, if it's good for you, it's also going to be good for others. That's an important thing to remember. So when a believing person prays God's will, it produces God's results. Elijah was praying God's will. We saw God's results, something that only God could do. Number two, if you're taking notes, God delights in hearing the prayers of believers. God delights in hearing the prayers of believers. Notice in Elijah's prayer that he never actually prayed for God to burn up the altar. I think this is pretty interesting. <laughs> he just shared his heart with God, and then the altar was ablaze. We, we look back to this prayer in 1 Kings 18. He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. 
Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And then it says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. God delighted in hearing Elijah's prayer. And this is important because we have to to be reminded today that God delights in hearing your prayers as well. Why does God delight in the prayers of believers? Or, Or why do our prayers matter to God? Well, your prayers matter to God because you matter to God. You see, in Christ, you are an adopted child of God loved by your heavenly father. Remember, that's, that's the first step we have to remember in the Lord's prayer, that God is your heavenly father who loves you. This truth is so important to remember every time that we pray, that God delights in hearing the prayers of believers. He delights in hearing your prayer. Point number three, if you're taking notes, when a believing person prays, Great things happen. And I put an exclamation point at the end of this to, to kind of overemphasize this truth, um, to, to really elevate it to what it should be. When a believing person prays, great things happen. See, Elijah found himself in an impossible situation. He was outnumbered and, and the, the odds were stacked up against him, but he kept the faith and he knew that God could do the impossible. Friends, maybe you feel outnumbered today. Maybe it feels like the odds are stacked against you. Maybe you're going through one of the the storms of life and you just can't see to the other side. Maybe your marriage is suffering and it seems like there's no hope. Or maybe one or more of your children have turned away from God and turned away from the church and it just seems like there's no way back. Maybe this season you've been laid off work and you're worried about providing for your family. Whatever your impossible situation might be, I want to encourage you to memorize this verse. James 5.16, when a believing person prays, great things happen. You see, for the believer, prayer should never be the last resort. It should always be the first option. It should be our first choice. We should remember that with God, nothing is possible. And that when we pray God's will, we're going to experience God's results. We should remember that God delights in the prayers of believers. And that when a believing person prays, great things happen. Throughout this series, we've said that God wants us to develop a prayer life, not just pray more. See, Elijah just wasn't praying more. I mean, you can, you can see the motive. You can see the heart behind his prayer. And maybe for you today, the first thing that you need to do is just go to God and, and let him know how you're feeling. You know, he already knows, but he wants to have that connection with you. And remember these truths today as you pray. When you pray God's will, you're going to experience God's results. God delights in the prayers of believers. And when a believing person prays, great things happen. Ask God today to to grow your prayer life. That you would have an intimate and sincere prayer life. We'll be praying for you this week. 
At this time, let's bow our heads wherever we're at, and we're going to close in a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful today for your word, for this unique and amazing story that we know is not even really about the the figures that we see here. It's about you and what you're able to do through the life of the believer. Lord, I pray that today you would use our lives to make a difference, to point people to Jesus, to make your name famous. And that, Lord, as we pray your will and we remember that you delight in our prayers, that, God, great things would happen for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.